0: This morning, I, I don't know of uh, a morning I've been more exciting, excited about um, and who I get to introduce. Uh, Dr. R.T. Kendall is with us. And, um, if, if you don't know who Dr. R.T. Kendall is, uh, he um, has been such a gift uh, to the church for decades now. He was the Uh, Pastor, senior pastor of uh, Westminster Chapel in London for 25 years. He was a successor of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's written over 50 books. That's a lot of books. He's written over 50 books. Um, One has deeply impacted me. It's called Total Forgiveness. Uh, It really informed the forgiveness series we did in June. Uh, He wrote a book called Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, which uh, as well impacted me and uh, this morning, he has two books that will be um, in the, the lobby as you're exiting. This is his latest. It's called Isaac's Promise, and uh, Receiving Isaac's Promise, and uh, he's actually going to teach on this uh, this morning, and we're going to pray for him, uh, because I, I believe he said he hasn't preached this message uh, since the early 90s, and that it is uh, very, <clears throat> very uh, important for the charismatic church, and uh, and I I told him that this body's ready to receive, and, um, and so I just wanna pray for RT as he comes up, but would you guys stand and welcome Dr. Kendall? <laughs> I'd love to just let me pray for Dr. Kendall. Father, thank you for this, uh, Thank you for this, Father. Thank you for um, bringing Dr. Kendall to us today. And Lord, we receive him and pray your peace upon him. And uh, Lord, that your word would uh, pierce our hearts, that your word, Lord, uh, would come uh, through him, and uh, that you would anoint him uh, for this morning, not only for those that will hear it in this room, but also those that will hear it online in the coming days. Uh, Lord, thank you for his life. Thank you for his family. Uh, we honor him and bless him in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, sir.
1: Very honored to be here. I've heard of you for a good while, but I never thought I would be here. Uh, But this has been arranged, and uh, I have reason to believe that this is timely. And it could turn out to be historic. Time will tell on that. Uh, But I have a special message for you. Now, the reason we brought the book is partly because my publisher wants to sell books. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he uh, wanted me to be here. But I, I need to mention it because what I'm going to say today Almost certainly, you have not heard before. And the book does explain things in more detail. And I'll hang around to sign, and, sign them if that helps get rid of them. <laughs> we, we, we don't want to take them back to Nashville. Uh, but thank you for having me. I'm uh, very honored to be here. My son, T.R., travels the world with me. And uh, so he's here with me. I want to read to you two passages of Scripture. First, from Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. Here are the words, verses 17 and 19. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable by you. The other passage I read is from the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. At that time, and Jesus is referring to the very last days. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom, go out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil, and buy some for yourselves. When they went, they had gone to buy some. The groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins came up and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day nor the hour. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this is most holy and infallible Word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by Your Spirit to fall upon this place on every person in this room in order that their perception of what is said will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear and very, very simple. I ask that this will be life-changing and this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. On October the 16th, 1992, I gave an address at the Wembley Conference Center in London. It turned out to be the most controversial sermon that I've preached in nearly 70 years of ministry. I didn't know it would be that, but that's what it turned out to be. And it became known as my Ishmael Isaac Sermon. It was attended by charismatics generally. I think 2,500 people filled Wembley Conference Center. There were some evangelicals there, but mostly charismatics. But it was almost 100% rejected by charismatics. My friend, Gerald Coates, who at the time was a leader of the charismatic movement in England, was so angry that they said he could have chewed nails. He was so upset with what I said. So he said to me, RT, you call us Ishmael. But he made, made a 180-degree turn later. I would never have thought it, and eventually endorsed the sermon. Well, uh, a year or so ago, I wrote a book called "Prophetic Integrity," where I dealt with the uh, hundreds, hundreds of prophetic people who said God told them that Donald Trump would have two consecutive terms and they got it wrong and none of them would admit they got it wrong they would just say well we got it right the Democrats stole the election I said well how come God didn't tell you that would happen? (laughs) But in that book I took just a page or two to describe what I'm going to tell you tonight And uh, what happened was that uh, in an unexpected meeting in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania Airport, uh, I ran into Larry Sparks. And he's the publisher of Destiny Image. And he had just read Prophetic Integrity, including that bit that I'm going to talk about tonight. And he came to me and said, Would you please turn into a book what you said about Ishmael and Isaac. I said, are you sure? You you would print this book? You're charismatic. He said, we need it, and I'm asking you to. Well, I did. And that's the book, Receiving the Isaac Promise, just out weeks ago. And I brought copies for those who may need to read more into what I will say today, because I can't tell it all today, but I'm doing my best. So, in my book, Prophetic Integrity, I did give a synopsis. Well, uh, what I've done is to write the book, and then Larry Sparks asked your pastor, Michael Miller, to let me come. (laughs) And so, that's why I'm here. Now, you might like to know that I've dedicated this book to Diane Jackson, the widow of John Paul Jackson. John Paul was from this area. I knew him very, very well. And then John Arnott, who had been associated with the Toronto church uh, over the years, uh, he's written the foreword. So it's extraordinary that the sermon that I had preached in 1992 would now be endorsed by leading charismatics. But what you're hearing today is the first time I've preached on it, you could say that this is the inaugural sermon on this subject, and you all, like it or not, are a litmus test (laughs) to see whether you're going to say, yep, or be like some who said, Never. And I'm not here to twist your arm. I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to deliver what I believe to be a message that is very needed. Well, I let uh, my friends know years ago that I held to the view, and it wasn't a view because nobody had ever said it. That the charismatic movement is Ishmael. So what I want to do now is to give you the biblical background for Ishmael and Isaac. God gave Abraham a promise. And one night, Abraham being very discouraged. He said, Lord, you've given me all this wealth. Who am I going to leave it to? I've got no heir. Am I going to give it to my servant, Eliezer? And God said, Abraham, go outside your tent and look up. Count the stars. Okay. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eight. I'll start over. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. I can't count them. There must be hundreds. Well, we now know there were billions. And then God said to Abraham, so will your seed be. Now, Abraham could have said, God, do you expect me to believe that? At my age, my wife is 70 years old. I'm 80. You really don't expect me to believe that. But Abraham did believe it. He did believe it. And according to Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham's faith counted for righteousness. And that moment became exhibit A for the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4. And that became the foundation of the Christian faith. Well, in a word, my faith in the blood of Jesus counts. For righteousness. But there was a problem. Sarah was not getting pregnant. And after a few years, they were discouraged. Am I still to believe that? Sarah had a suggestion. It was not a good one sleep with my maidservant Hagar. Well, not what Abraham wanted to do actually but he thought maybe this is the way God is going to make things happen and so Abraham and Sarah wanted to make good the promise and so Abraham sleeps with Hagar and a male child was born and even God gave him the name Ishmael and so Abraham reasoned this way well it's not what I expected I thought it would be through Sarah but it is from my loins. It's a male child. And so, for 14 years, Abraham sincerely believed that Ishmael was the promised child. For many, many years, many leaders in the charismatic movement have sincerely thought that the charismatic movement which spread all over the world from Latin America to China, from South Africa to South America, was the ultimate work of God before the second coming. And as for Ishmael, he was male, as I said. He came from Abraham's loins. And so Abraham understandably assumed that Ishmael was the one that God had in mind from the the beginning. Well, this conference was arranged in October 1992. And uh, I knew what I was going to be speaking on. And I had lunch with a leading charismatic leader in England. And I asked him a question. I said, if you were to guess whether the charismatic movement is Ishmael or Isaac, which would you choose? And his reply was, Isaac. Well, I said to him, what would you think if I told you that the charismatic movement is Ishmael? And then he said, oh, no, please, please don't say that. And it was just like Abraham Pleading with God, oh, that Ishmael, Ishmael might live before you. Because when God said to Abraham, Sarah will conceive, this was not good news for Abraham. He said, No, 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 please let it be Ishmael. Well, when I had that talk with that charismatic leader, and he said, The charismatic movement is Isaac, I knew that I had a fight on my hands. And it wasn't easy from then on. Well, one day God said to Abraham, Sarah will conceive. Isaac is coming. Well, God told Abraham that Isaac, not Ishmael, would be the promised child. And Abraham's reaction, please, please let it be Ishmael. Well, here's the interesting thing. That would be the typical reaction of many, many charismatics. When they heard this, uh, they said, we've paid the price. We've been persecuted. And look how God has blessed the charismatic movement. Nearly all of the great hymns of the last 50 years have come from the charismatics. Charismatics. And look how it spread into Latin America, China. It's got to be, this is it. This is what God is doing before the second coming. Well, that was a typical reaction. But at some point during the last 20 years, the mood began to change. And some would come up to me and say, R.T., we hope you are right. Because if what we have now is all there is, We're in pretty bad shape. And so, my word, not given just to make them feel better, is what I believe. This is exactly, I would go to the stake for what I'm telling you today. Well, I believe, this is my view, that the next thing to happen before the second coming is the greatest awakening in the history of the church. To put it another way, it's my view that the next thing to happen on God's calendar is not the second coming, but the awakening of the church just before. And that's why I read to you from Matthew 25. Most translations refer to the midnight cry, the midnight cry. And many have understandably thought that midnight would be like 12 o'clock midnight, that that's the end of history, and books have been written, it's five minutes to 12, it's three minutes to 12, thinking that that's the time when the second coming takes place. But what I've shown in the book called, Are You Ready for the Midnight Cry? That the translation midnight, I understand it, but it's from three Greek words that mean middle of night. And it's talking about when you least expect something to happen. Well, I call the next great move of God Isaac. I believe that Isaac is coming. It will be the ultimate coming together of the Word and the Spirit in the day as we had it in the days of the early church. The true gospel will be restored as in the book of Acts, preaching will become the main thing. In fact, according to John Paul Jackson, who is now in heaven, he said to me, he had been taken to heaven, and God revealed to him in heaven that the next great move of God, the key to it, would be the book of Romans, And especially Romans chapter 4. Well, the irony was that dear John Paul didn't have a clue what Romans 4 was about. But I did. I said, John Paul, do you not realize this means the next great move of God will be a restoration of the gospel? This is what Martin Luther discovered in the 16th century. This is what John Wesley preached. This is what Jonathan Edwards preached. And so the next great move of God will be a restoration of the gospel. Well, he hadn't even thought that. That is, in my opinion, what's coming down the road. Now, what I think is equally interesting, Jesus could dazzle his hearers by his word as easily as when he performed a miracle. Why do I say that? Well, so many today think that the only way to excite people is through a miracle. But I can tell you, the next great move of God will be that the preaching of the Word will be as thrilling as any miracle you can imagine. Signs and wonders will be restored, as in the book of Acts, and the Word and the Spirit will be equal in power and effect. Now as far as I know the first Word and Spirit conference ever to be held was the one that Paul Kane and I did together in 1992. And Paul Cain represented the Spirit and I represented the Word. But the people remember only one thing and that is my word about charismatic movement being Ishmael and that was a red flag and charismatic said we can't have that we've paid a price for what we believe and you call us Ishmael well I take the view that there has been a silent divorce in the church speaking generally between the word and the spirit now when there's a divorce Sometimes the children stay with the mother. Sometimes the children stay with the father. So, in this divorce, and you look at the church all over the world, you've got word churches and you've got spirit churches. Yeah. What's the difference? We'll take word churches. What's the message? Ah, it's very clear. We must earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints we need to get back to justification by faith, as in Luther's day. Sovereignty of God, Jonathan Edwards' day. And until we get back to scripture and expository preaching, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing, it's exactly right. It's what I believe. Take those on the spirit side. What's the message? Well, we need to get back to the book of Acts. Signs, wonders, miracles. Gifts for the spirit in operation. Get into Simon Peter's shadow. You're healed. Lie to the Holy Spirit. You're struck dead. And until we get back to that kind of power, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing. It's exactly right. The problem is that almost wherever I go, and in my old age, God has given me a ministry that has reached China, South Africa, the Middle East. Wherever I go, it seems to be one or the other. Spirit churches. Word churches. And the thing that I have preached, and I said it at the Wembley Conference Center, that the simultaneous combination of Word and Spirit would result in spontaneous combustion. But that's what hasn't quite happened. There are churches where they do their best to have Word and Spirit. There's no doubt. There are exceptions to what I'm saying. But generally speaking, It's one or the other. Well, what amazes me is so many charismatics think that you've got to have a miracle to excite the people. But Jesus showed that his word would dazzle as quickly as a miracle. And that is what is needed today. Well, I am concerned personally... That those who speak of the full gospel. Do you know what I mean you've heard them say? The full gospel. The problem with so many of them. They don't even know the gospel. (laughs) And they're talking about full gospel. I know what they're getting at. But I would ask you. And I don't mean to be unfair. How many of you. Understand the teaching of justification by faith alone, do you? Romans 4 explains what Abraham saw, and that became the gospel. And I have to tell you that wherever I go, and it just happens that When I go to charismatic churches, I find that they don't really get get it. They're more interested in gifts, tongues, miracles, and don't grasp Romans 4. Well, you can think about that. I'm not here to stir any controversy or make you feel guilty. But this is my own assessment. Well, so, I'm here today to say that what I'm preaching will fulfill the word in the Old Testament the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 that the coming great move of God will be the greatest in the history of the church greater than the great awakening in New England in the 18th century. Greater than the reformation of the 16th century. Greater Then the coming of the Holy Spirit until we get to the day of Pentecost, what is coming will equal, if anything, surpass what happened on the day of Pentecost. And this will precede the second coming. It's my view. It's the next thing to happen on God's calendar. Now, here's another perspective What brings the most glory to God? In my view, what will bring more glory to God is that Jesus remains at the right hand of the Father and sends the Spirit in such great power that the gospel is preached, the Word and the Spirit come together, which will awaken the church. And so, it will bring more glory to God by Jesus remaining at the right hand of God then if he came back and then just by the power of the fire and the judgment kill everybody and so we're talking about the word let me explain something that you this may be old hat to you but the two ways God reveals himself in the Old Testament is by his word and by his name. The word refers to his integrity, his honesty, his faithfulness. The name refers to his reputation and his power. And we know how much God reveres his own name. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But if you had to take a guess, if God magnified one over the other, what would you think it would be? Well, Psalm 138, verse 2, in the Hebrew, this is the thing. The King James Version got it right, one or two modern versions get it right, but most of them... Just gloss over it. Here's what the Hebrew says. You've magnified your word above all your name. And let that sink in. For God regards his word, his own integrity. You see, his name refers to his power. One day God will clear his name. One day God will explain the problem of evil. One day he will explain it all. He can wait for that. But in the meantime, it's His Word. And I would urge you to be gripped by His Word. That means more to Him than having His name cleared. And yet, we're living in a time, and it's so sad. In the last few years, major leaders, whether they be Word people or Spirit people, are now getting away from the word it's so sad find somebody today who believes in judgment sin hell heaven they need to be saved but they're they're glossing over that they talk about everything else many who have believed in hell now believe in annihilation many who believed in the sovereignty of God are now opting for a teaching. It's called open theism. I don't know how much you know about that, but I can tell you open theism is deadly. It's the opposite of the God of the Bible. Here's what open theism is in a word, that God is open to us. To know what to do. According to open theism. God does not know the future. So he looks to us. For input. To know what to do. You may not realize it. But some of the best names. In the charismatic movement. Believe that. I'm not going to mention names now. Or I wouldn't do it from the public in any case. That's not my duty. But I'm telling you. The best known are holding to this and you're wondering why we're living in a time when the church is having no effect at all what we're seeing in recent days what was once considered disgraceful is now accepted by everybody find somebody who emphasizes the dangers of sin what will do to you That judgment is coming. Are you aware of the first message of the New Testament? You know the first message? Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, John the Baptist said, Who has warned you to flee, that means run, from the wrath of God? I think today's generation has no idea. What it means, wrath of God, when God is angry. That would be a restoration of the gospel when you're unashamed of what the Bible teaches. I believe, I certainly hope, that you are an exception. We have to wait and see. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know that much about you. But I'm telling you, to preach the word, is to stand up for historic Christian faith. What turned the world upside down in the early church. The teaching of Athanasius, Jesus is God. Augustine, who said, "If a God who doesn't know the future is not God. But we're living in a time when the view people have of God is brought down to such a human level. Nobody's afraid of God anymore. The world thumbs their nose at the church. And we just say, well, sorry about that. There's no sense of outrage. I believe in the coming of Isaac. That will change. And it's my hope that those that are a part of the charismatic movement who can take a message like this will have the first bite of the cherry when this awakening comes. And it could come any time. It is at hand. I can tell you, you can laugh, every day when I wake up, I mean seven days a week, 365 days a year, when I wake up Lord could it be today because it is coming and so what will happen is that preaching will bring the gospel back there will be also signs and wonders and miracles not everybody will be saved you see Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you might have thought. Well, a miracle like that would cause everybody to say, oh, we believe now. They still wanted to crucify Jesus. The people who witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead, it didn't change them. They still hated Jesus. So don't think because miracles come, everybody's going to say, well, we believe now. We have the Word and Spirit together. Expect persecution. I'm sorry. But expect persecution, just as Jesus promised. Well, now, before I close, I want to talk about the parable of the ten virgins and the midnight cry. The church at this moment, in my view, is in a deep sleep. And we were told that while the bridegroom tarried, All the virgins, five wise, five foolish, all of them were asleep. They all fell asleep. What uh, you may not realize is is that Jesus is talking about an ancient Near Eastern wedding. The weddings in the Near East in those days were different from the weddings today. The wedding was not held in a synagogue or, or a church or even a registry office. What happened was that the wedding took place in the bridegroom's home. And sometimes the wedding would last for two or three days. And so, what would happen is at the right time, the groom would go to the bride's house and get her and bring her back to his house for the wedding. The irony is that he might do this in the middle of the night. And for that reason, the bride had girls to carry lamps. They were the attendants. And it turns out, Jesus said, in this case, five were wise, five were foolish. The wise took oil, the foolish didn't take oil. And so, this was going to be a time when the Groom didn't come as soon as they thought. And so, when he came, all of them were asleep. Wise and foolish. And Jesus said, in the last days, that's the way this begins. Having just dealt with the last days in Matthew 24, Jesus said, in the last days, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. All of them, all of them were asleep. But in the middle of the night, and so we're not talking about 12 o'clock midnight, the Greek, "meses de nuktos, middle of night. In other words, when the church would be in a deep sleep. That's where we are now. That's where the church is, deep sleep. Nobody's expecting anything. In this case, wise and foolish. Wise and foolish. Imagine yourself being awakened at 2 o'clock in the morning. You're not going to be happy. The point being that this awakening is going to come when nobody's expecting it. This will come when the least expected find it. By the way, there's nothing we can do to hasten it. There's nothing we can do to stop it. But here's what I want you to see. There was a gap between the shout, the cry, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And when they woke up. You see, many have thought that the bridegroom coming and the second coming were simultaneous. That cannot be because when the awakening came, the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. If the second coming had taken place, there would be no conversation. There's a gap. I don't know how long the gap is, but here's the thing. There was this time when the wise said to the foolish, well, go buy some oil. See, the second coming hadn't taken place yet. Here's the point I want to make. It is between the gap and the coming of Jesus when this great revival will take place. How long it lasts? Who knows? I don't know. Now, here's the question that I want to put to you Who gives the cry in the middle of the night? Well, there are three categories of people there were the wise and the foolish. But there were also those who gave the message. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Who will they be? I believe there's a third category. Those not asleep. So, the three categories. The wise, the foolish, those who give a the message. There will be no superstars. They'll be ordinary people. Yeah, it's when the Sadducees took notice that Peter and John had such boldness. They went, how'd they get this boldness? Who are they? These are uneducated people. They haven't been to seminary. They haven't been to rabbinic school. And they've got boldness. Oh, they did notice one thing. That they'd been with Jesus. I want to believe that the typical person who will give this cry are people like you. Here's why I say that. Ordinary people, not superstars, will bring about this awakening. And the moment will come. You get the tap on the shoulder. And those who are ready when they hear from God, this is the moment. It will be people like you. You say, well then, RT, how can we prayer? How can we prepare? Well, here's my word. Know your Bible and pray a lot. I don't mean to be unfair, but how well do you know your Bible? Dear John Paul Jackson didn't know his Bible very well. He, he had a prophetic gift. That's the irony. He did. There's no doubt about that. But I had to show him things that he didn't know. He started reading his Bible two years before he died. And I found that the prophetic people that I've met, they don't know their Bibles. They, leave, they lean on their gift. I know of one very, very prominent person who doesn't read his Bible, but has a friend who hears from God. And he calls his friend, what am I supposed to do today? In other words, he's leaning on a person's gift. That's where we are. People don't know their Bibles. You need a Bible reading plan if you don't have one. You need a plan that will take you through the Bible in a year. You say, well, RT, I just, I don't get that much out of the Bible. Listen, Jesus said one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do, he will remind you of what you've been taught. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit will remind you. But if you're empty-headed before the Spirit comes, you'll be empty-headed afterwards. You say, well, what I need is for somebody to lay hands on me and I fall to the floor. If you're empty-headed when you fall, you'll be empty-headed when you get up. And I would urge you that maybe today, and maybe as a result of talking to you, it'll be a mini wake-up call before the big one. And maybe God is saying to somebody here, there's still time for me to get to read the Bible. A year Bible plan will mean four chapters a day, and just read it because the people who know their Bibles will be the ones who make the call. Behold, the bridegroom comes. So what do you do? Know your Bible and pray a lot. I don't mean to be unfair, but how much do you pray? Now, I know that this is the main thing with you. I know that. (laughs) Martin Luther prayed two hours a day. John Wesley prayed two hours a day. The average church leader in America and Britain prays four minutes a day. And you wonder why the church is powerless. I used to urge the members of Westminster Chapel, pray 30 minutes a day. Praying is never wasted time. And you want to be ready. So that when God is ready to move in. He's going to choose those people not asleep. And I would love to think. That my word today would make a difference. Here. And so make sure you're not asleep. You see there's three things about sleep. One. One. You don't know you were asleep until you wake up. (laughs) Two, you do things in your sleep you wouldn't do if you were awake. That's where the church is today, in a deep sleep, doing things that they wouldn't do. You have dreams. You say, well, that's not me, but that's the way it is when you're asleep. And the church being asleep today, now weighing knee-deep in sin and approve of things that were always regarded as terrible but no more we just become stone deaf to the warnings and what we know the bible teaches and i'm hoping that god sent me here today that maybe something can be ignited today that'll make you see that i believe we are in the last days A great awakening is coming. And all you can do is wait. Wait. The time will come when you will know what to do. Meanwhile, wait. Well, I close. You know, there are churches where when people go, they go to hear a word. They don't expect to see anything, it's a word church. They go to hear. They would say to the pastor, thank you for your word. That's what they came for, that's what they got. There are churches who when they go, they don't expect to hear much, but they want to see, want to see, they want to see. But when this simultaneous conversion, simultaneous combustion, emerges, those who go to hear will see, and those who come to see will hear. Now, one P.S. I don't want you to make too much of this, but because it encouraged me, I thought maybe it would encourage you. Have you ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Well, I had heard of him but I didn't know much. And after I gave that address at the Wembley Conference Center, a couple days later, somebody came up to me and said, R.T., you got that from Smith Wigglesworth. I said, what do you mean? He said the same thing. I said, really? I didn't know this, but I want to read to you what is said to be his word three months before he died in 1947. He speaks in a, a British context, but there's this is what Smith Wigglesworth said. This is 1947. During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it. And it will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. In my book, Receiving the Isaac Promise, I give a little history of Charismatic Movement, Pentecostal Movement, but everybody's pretty agreed that Charismatic Movement was born in 1960. In Seattle, London, South Africa simultaneously and so he's saying this in 1947 there'll be an emphasis on the baptism of the Spirit the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then according to Wigglesworth the second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches in the duration of each of these moves the people who are involved will say ah This is the great revival. But the Lord says no. Neither is this the great revival. But both are steps towards it. Says Wigglesworth. When the new church is on the wane. There will be evidenced in the churches. Something that has not been seen before. A coming together of the. Emphasis on the Word and the Spirit. When the Word and Spirit come together, this is Wigglesworth, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. He believed it would start in England, go to Europe, and around the world. I'll be glad if it's England, I'll be glad if it's Dallas. But something's going to happen that will mean the world will never be the same again. 65 years ago, I had a vision. A vision where I saw revival that went around the world. And the message was... Jesus is coming soon, and people believed it, in my vision. They believed it. Well, they don't believe it today. You can go out on the street and say, Jesus is coming soon. You'll be laughed to scorn. But something is going to happen where those who are given this power will preach it. It may not be in auditoriums. It may be to your next-door neighbor. It may be people in the office. But ordinary people are going to be giving this word, and it will be like in the days of the early church, when, as it was put with Stephen, they could not resist the wisdom and power by which he spoke. And you say, well, that, could that happen to me? I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been to college. You don't need to, this, to do that. What you need is to be with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were with Jesus. And that made all the difference. You can be a part of all that I'm talking about today. It means you wait these two things. Know your Bible and pray a lot. Know your Bible and pray a lot and wait. And just as the cry in the middle of the night came, when nobody was expecting it, you'll be among those who will be ready. And God will use you. And You may wonder, what's life about? Why are we here? Something great is coming. I call it Isaac. Call it whatever you want. But it's something to precede the second coming that will change the world. And it's gonna be happening everywhere. Shall we pray? Yes. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this word and apply, apply this word by your Holy Spirit. Lord, hasten the day. When all this happens, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.